Hey, brother. Hello, brother. Welcome to Season 8. That's right, Season 8, Episode 1 of Matt Wits. I'm your host, Steve, alongside my younger brother, Chris. I would be me. <laughs> Matt Wits is a nostalgia-infused, that's typically me, pop culture, that's typically Chris, podcast, where we go through a whole bunch of things. We talk about TV, movie, music, uh, uh, our growing up in Erie, Pennsylvania. If you're new to the podcast, uh, I'm Steve, and I'm seven years older than Chris, so there's a little bit of an age gap there. So um, that's often a, a topic for many of our many of our discussions, our different experiences growing up. Um, we also tend to disagree, but we have we've been pretty pretty cordial lately. So uh, if we do disagree, we will do a what do you call a dimwit challenge. Uh, Chris is up six dollars. I owe Chris six dollars for these dollar bets that we make. Um. So with with that, I thought I would jump in. Um, first of all, you know, over the last oh, probably seventy two hours, forty eight hours, uh, news came out that the uh, the drumming legend uh, Neil Peart from Rush had uh, passed away, finally succumbed to uh, to brain cancer. And I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk a little bit. I don't know. I've, I've touched on it in some of the podcasts, but I haven't gone into great detail. But wanted to touch on you know one of the one of the components of my life, particularly when I was in in, in high school and college. Uh, I've gotten away from it a little bit as I've gotten older. Uh, was was music and, and particularly drumming, right? And if you're any type of drummer, um, at some point in your in your growth and development, you 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 come across Neil Peart, and you know it just amazing technician and uh, an amazingly creative. Um, and, and the stuff that he did. And I saw a great quote uh, when this started to come out um, again over the weekend uh, from Stuart Copeland, who I also really, really like. Stuart Copeland of the police and Oysterhead mm-hmm. and all that. Um, a great drummer in his own right, but it, it really referring to Neil Peart as the most air drummed drummer <laughs> of, of all time right between between tom sawyer and and all you know all limelight and all, all their other songs you know just really inventive um with the way he played and and again really a, a very 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 technical so uh, a shout out to him and you know may he uh, uh i also saw another quote on on twitter and after retweeted i think i might have even retweeted it but it was for somebody who I wouldn't have thought uh, that it would come from, and it was somebody that I hold in very, very high regard, um, is uh, Chuck D from Public Enemy, mm-hmm. and he That's told hot. a great, yeah, it was a great story about um, Public Enemy and Rush were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at the same ceremony, same year, and um, uh, he was just telling a, a kind of a nice story that after the ceremony, he and Neil Peart were sitting at a small table behind, you know, backstage. Just kind of reflecting and you know being thankful that the, the evening was over and it, and sharing a moment. I thought that was really cool, um, you know, for 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 you know two guys that are in different genres of music, different backgrounds and everything, but they you know kind of unified in that moment and and a lot of respect from Chuck D for that. So that was, I thought yeah, exactly. that was pretty cool. And both of us are such massive Public Enemy fans too. And you're more of a Rush fan than I was. That's growing up. You maybe listened to a lot of it. I just for some reason I didn't particularly care for the music at the time because I was more into heavy stuff 
like that was that's again all your influence so like my my hip-hop was a little bit more angry from public enemy and nwa and things like that and even my my metal like that's when i was really into metallica and and harder edge stuff so i remember when you used to play rush i was like this is a little too soft i mean getty's voice is a little (laughs) is a little bit more melodic than the stuff that i was listening to at the time but as i got older and went back and started revisiting all this stuff like i'm not a drummer i have no no musical ability whatsoever i can dance a little i can (laughs) sing a little but i mean even as somebody who uh, a plebeian or a a layman can really appreciate what neil was to to drumming so as as soon as that popped up on my twitter feed that you're the first person i thought of so yeah and and, you know and like it's 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 tricky with rush like it's it's um I, I like them. I'm not. They, there's people that follow Rush like it's their it's their Grateful Dead. It's their anything, and that's not the place that Rush holds for me. But Rush holds a very special part because, again, when I was learning how to play drums, I spent a lot of time listening to Neil Peart. When I worked at the um, when I worked at the drum store, so I worked at a drum store growing up. Let there be drums in Erie, Pennsylvania. That was my job from high school all the way through when I was out of college. So. We always had Rush on in there, right? Your 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 store that sells nothing but percussive uh, supplies mm-hmm. and drum sets, and Neil Peart's on. We had pictures of him all over the wall. Uh, Pat, who is the owner of Let There Be Drums, had a great picture of Neil Peart when he played at the Erie Civic Center. Um, uh, Neil liked to drive by himself between gigs. He was rolling the cars. He's kind of a car guy and everything. So he's driving his like. And this was the picture is probably eighties, early eighties, um, and he had that Raleigh fingers. Uh, Neil Peart did had the Raleigh fingers mustache. Like mm-hmm. the long curled, and he, and it, you know it's eerie, so it's like super cold and snowy, and he's got this massive like, um, almost like parka um, thing on it. It's all over the hood's over his head. You can all you can see is his eyes and his mustache sticking out. It was really a cool picture, um, but he was just he was an interesting guy, and and I don't know many people maybe don't know this because they kind of know his drumming, but they don't know him as a person. He had some tremendous tragedy uh, in his life. Uh, I'm going to get the dates wrong. Probably 2000, um, right after the test for Echo Tour, I think it was. So yeah, this is 15 years ago, something like that. Um, uh, his daughter, his only daughter, of, of, uh, and she was 19, was killed in a car accident um, right after the tour ended. And then his wife of 25 years or whatever died of cancer like 10 months later. Yes. And and he really said like more than anything that she just gave up. Like she just like it was she might have died of cancer, but she really just died of a broken heart. Um and and I know all this because he wrote a book, um and I'd recommend it. Um Janine's reading it now. Um wrote a book called uh Ghost Rider. And Janine was reading it before he passed away, uh, just because I had a copy of it. But it's called Ghost Rider. So after these events happened, right, after his daughter died and his wife died, he, he you know, I, I think it was at his daughter's funeral. Um, he's, like, told told Getty and Alex from Rush, like, hey, I'm retired. Um, he already said, consider me retired. And he just took time and spent time with his wife, and then she ultimately passed away. So he got on his BMW motorcycle and put 55,000 miles over the course of, I think it was like 12 months, 14 months, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he just got on his bike and did like seven hours a day on his motorcycle and Jeez. traveled all through Canada, all through the States, all down through Mexico and back again. And and he kind of documented it in this book called 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 Ghost Rider. Uh, but it was just the way he was dealing with grief. 
right he was kind of just kind of trying to escape I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. hard that's that's a real I, you can't imagine right losing your your only daughter your only your only child and your wife within like a 10 month period like just yeah. brutal um then he made his way back right he um he eventually remarried um many years later he eventually got back in music then remarried and then had another daughter um and then ultimately retired from rush in like 2015 and then i think he'd been battling brain cancer almost ever since right yeah i think it was Mm -hmm. like a three-year battle with uh with brain cancer so just a tremendous tremendous guy and uh in terms of his in terms of his talent um and kind of the, the effect that he left. Like if you watch Twitter, like every drummer from Dave Grohl to mm-hmm. Stephen Perkins from the um, from Jane's Addiction, like just everybody, you know, uh, Charlie Benetti from from Anthrax has some great stuff posted on social media. So just a big big rip, uh, ripple effect throughout the uh, the rock community on on uh, Neil Peart's passing. Yeah. So. And I, and I can't remember if we talked about this, Chris. I, I say that all the time on this podcast. But I, think, <laughs> I feel like I've, I tell the same stories over and over again. But uh, going back to Let There Be Drums, right? So I worked at Let There Be Drums all through, like, from the time I was 16. I, I went to college. I'd come back and work over the holidays. I'd work on, over the, the summers. And then when I graduated, moved back to Erie, was working at Lord. I still worked there on nights and weekends. Um, and Pat, who was my drum teacher, kind of a mentor and everything, Pat and Kathy, um, uh, at at my uh, my uh, our, my graduation party at our house on Wayne Street, uh, they came and uh, our house was for sale at the time. So they bought the house that Chris and I grew up in um, uh, back there on, on Wayne Street in Erie, Pennsylvania. So when I would go back and work for them, I would you know I would go house sit at that house and I spent time in the house. They converted my bedroom in the basement. Pat recorded into a rehearsal space for him and his hmm. band, uh, which was which was really cool. Uh, and then, and then recently, I saw online that um, he's gotten back in. The Pat has gotten back in after a couple, like almost two decades worth of, of teaching at some of the uh, public schools in Erie, teaching music. He's gotten back in to let to be drums and teaching again, but he's doing it in the uh, dining room of the <laughs> house that Chris and I grew up with. He converted that into a makeshift drum room, uh, which I think is which I think is pretty cool. Um, so it's also that, kind of weird. That's right in the middle of the house. It is. Your room in the basement is like perfect. You know, they built it. It was an unfinished basement. They had, you know, Mr. Z come in and finish it all up. But the dining room, like you literally have to walk through it to get to the kitchen. It's just, it strikes me as odd. And then again, <laughs> I don't remember, really remember what that house looks like all that much and probably doesn't look Oh, anything. really? I, I'm assuming they took down the brown wallpaper with the pink roses i believe they oh were. yeah 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 that's that was long since gone that was there when i would go again when i was in college ago that was long since gone that was there when i would go again yeah. when i was in college i go house sit for them with that dark yeah. highly patterned wallpaper was put up was because the bubbles the plaster was so mm-hmm. in disarray and cracked that the only way you could cover it up and not really have it be seen was to put really dark Dark pattern, <laughs> yeah, patterned wallpaper up. That's yep. why we had blue and gray plaid wallpaper in our bedroom. Sure, sure, and we yeah. probably did enough damage to those walls during our battles that there was probably even oh. more holes by the time we were done with it. So easily, easily. Well, that's one of the things. Every time you post one of these pictures of us, like from growing up, I rarely look at the focal point of the picture. I usually like the one that you posted of you in like the bathrobe whatever it was from like christmas that, that was year. christmas I, yeah that with the I, and with the electric um the baseball game the brown it, baseball game it, yeah yeah i i spend most of the time zooming in on stuff in the background 
like looking at the bookshelf to see like all the books that were there and like looking at the pictures on the mantle and and looking at the like the my favorite part of that photo is the the grilled cheese maker hanging in front of the fireplace utensils do you remember that thing steve the thing we used oh to the, the mountain grill? pie yeah the mountain pie yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the stuff I look for. I look at like the patterns on the I was like, "Oh, it's the old crappy brown, you know, <laughs> pa- pattern couch." And oh, look, there's the green and yellow afghan that Busha knitted and all all the right. stuff in the background. So that's what I like about that. So anytime you post something from our childhood home, I spend most of the time like scouring the background like, "Oh, look, there's the there's the Garfield book I was reading or there's right, there's right. my co- my corner where I used to sit on the heat vent because dad used to keep the house at like 60 degrees." <laughs> so I used to sit over in the corner and read and I would sit directly on top of the the vent from the furnace that came directly like it was the first place it hit when it came out of the basement so i used to sit and throw a blanket over myself and the the vent right and used to read in that back corner it was cold i just remember yes, all, it was. Eerie, eerie's cold and then that house was cold it was built in the 20s yeah. rick well, um, and, da- and dad is murray goldberg so he was like i'm not paying for heat you can put a sweatshirt on or something like that <laughs> right. don't, don't we would burn ourselves on the vents on the yeah. metal vents like yeah, yeah. um so, so I know the picture you're talking about. The other thing, and go back and look at that, really stood out to me is our our parents had this weird brass candle with a glass, like it was it look, weird. It looked like an oil lamp. It did. It looked like an oil lamp. It might have been an oil lamp. It may have been. Um, they also had some incense holders and like stuff that you know. Parents that lived in the '60s would have, but I, yeah. that was the thing that caught my eye in that picture was that crazy gold brass-looking lamp. Candle. Yeah, but it was, it, candle. was a, yeah. it was a candle holder. Yeah, it looks yeah. like a chalice kind of. I remember it's, I knocking bizarre. You can knock go out that to, thing over plenty. Yeah, of time. go out to our Twitter feed uh, at Match Wits and you'll see the picture we're talking about. All right, so uh, moving on from Neil Pert and and my my kind of love for drumming. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm t- have my drum set set up, get back into it a little bit. Uh, some guys have been playing, you know, looking at uh, playing with a little bit just to just to get back into it. Uh, really enjoy playing drums, um, you know, and, and creating music. So uh, with that, I thought I would touch on, and this isn't going to be a top top list because there there really is not a lot of really <laughs> good drum movies but yeah. we well, you mentioned to me pre pre-show i was like hey what are we talking about this week and we went through a few things then you're like in drumming movies i was like okay so we're gonna talk about whiplash and that's it <laughs> <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna talk about so whiplash was the and that was and that was awesome that movie yeah. was at uh jk simmons and miles teller miles teller yeah yep. that was so good and then talking to friends that went to conservatory right so you know i i played music in college but i went to a, a normal state school in pennsylvania and, <laughs> and did my normal stuff but people who go to conservatory and they in all of their classes music and it's all music performance and music theory and all that stuff um that's pretty accurate it you know it's it's overly a little bit overly dramatic with jk simmons character but I talk to people that like you know there have some PTSD from conservatory training. Um, I have PTSD from watching that movie, man. Like <laughs> I, if that is even remotely close to what conservatory is, like I feel for anybody that has to go through that. Like I get it, I get the the strong hand to make a truly great artist and all of that, but good lord, man, that's like 
boot camp. That's like literally enrolling in like the Marines to learn how to play music. And no thanks. I'll be average at music if it means I don't get screamed at for right. three years. Yeah. And the whole thing is those things that they, they built, they, you know, they build a reputation. They got to put out top notch talent. It's like anything. They have to train them. And if they're not good enough, they can't attack. Like, it's just a, I'm sure it's a, it's a, it's a crazy thing, but I just, the, the, the drumming in that in whiplash was so good. Yeah. Um, the acting in it was so good. Like the whole, and, and the story was good. I mean, it was just, a, it was well done. It didn't, I think it probably won a bunch of awards. Yeah, it did. I'm guessing. Like, I, don't, I think I don't remember what it won. I think JK it, Simmons won a, like a Oscar. I probably should look that up. It won three Oscars. Hold on. It won for best performance by, or best supporting actor for JK Simmons, editing and sound mixing. And it was nominated for best picture of the year and best writing. But you can tell that the guy that wrote and directed it, Damien Chazelle, like you can tell he's a drummer. You can tell he appreciates the craft of drumming. What I, yep. dude, I remember, I remember when you first started drumming, and you used to show me your fingers, and the blisters and the blood oh, God, and everything, yeah. <laughs> and I would be like, "Oh my God!" And you're like, "No, this is completely normal. This is what happens when you learn because your hands will start to callous, and then it doesn't do this anymore. So when they, the one part where he's going through and learning, and it's just the blood on the top of the of the drum, and every time he hits it, it kind of splatters up in the air. It's just like, yeah. I remember That's watching pretty... with Aaron. She was like, that is disgusting. And I was like, That's completely real. And she goes, What are you talking about? I was like, That I can remember my brother going through that when he was younger, when he was first learning how to drum, like you have to build up the calluses on your hands to just so it doesn't do that all the time. And she goes, Ew, why would you do that? I'm like, I don't know. Drummers are weird. <laughs> that true statement. That is a that is a very true statement. Um yeah, and you do, and I still have calluses. I haven't played regularly in a long time, but I still have, like, you know, I still have where the calluses would be and, and all that. And I can pick up the sticks, and, you know, it takes a while to get back in the shape. But um, I was doing it a little bit at the end of last year, then I got busy with work. I'm, I'm going to start picking it up here again. Yeah. But... So you have Whiplash, and then, again, there's a couple of others where drumming is – there's one other one, Drumline. The, was that Nick Cannon? Yeah, Drumline? Is that, that that's what you bring up? Well, I guess that's well, one of the only other ones that I remember about yeah, but, drumming per se. But yeah, and it yeah. But it had some things about like drumline in it. Like that was the other thing. I was in the drumline for a year or two in high school and not the, the the prep band was not like some others where it's like like I don't know, like the drum core where you go for the summer in eight hours a day you're practicing, which is or in college, right? Which is, I think, where drumline took place was in in college. But yeah, no, there was some good drumming in there. There was good, you know. That's it captured a bit of what a what a drumline's like. But I mean, it was it was it was a Nick Cannon movie. It was so. a Nick Cannon movie. It was yeah. It was, it was a yeah. I should say it captured some essence of a drumline and and done through a Nick Cannon movie. Uh, and then the I, other one that I ahead. could be wrong, but I don't believe drumline won any Oscars. <laughs> I think you're right, but it's a drumming movie. And then the other one, and this is what drumming is just kind of a. It, it, it's part of one of the characters, and it's part of one of the character development of some kind of wonderful. The John Hughes, yeah, Mary Stuart I, Masterson plays a drummer. Um, uh, it's not. It's uh, Eric um, Stoltz and yeah. uh, um, Leah Thompson, but it's a John Hughes movie. Yeah, yeah. I, see, I don't really remember that movie that much. Yeah, so the the Mary Stuart Masterson character, I think her name was Watts, um, 
it kind of uh, that was her thing. She played drums, right? She had kind of a, a short, short haircut, kind of a tomboy, but she played drums, and they're, they're just the most probably the most quotable part of that uh, for me of, of that movie was. Um, and she's talking; she's kind of got the hot for Eric Stoltz, and but anyway, she's like, "I just care about you and me and my drums," which I thought was always <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite movie quotes of all time. Hmm, sure. Um, but it, yeah, there's it, it, you know, and I've got my I got my soft spot for John Hughes movies, and and uh, I think it was originally supposed to star Molly Ringwald, but uh, that's when her and I think Hughes had a falling out or something. So, um, and then from that, not not really a drumming movie, but there is some really good drumming, and it and it talks about whole bands, which is that thing you do, sure. Right. Well, we always we always use that as excuses to bring it up because that's where the the one one o needers are from are from Erie, aren't they? Yeah. Or it, it was yep. shot in Erie. Part part of it was shot in Erie because I remember the. No, it wasn't. It, it, it takes place in Erie, so there's a whole backstory there, right? And and one of the guys just passed away, and I'll I'll, I'll link this out there. So there was a there was a band from. Erie called the Fabulous Epics. Two of the guys, they're all from Erie, called the Fabulous Epics. Um, and then they left Erie and moved to New York, and they performed at the Peppermint, uh, the Peppermint Ballroom and the Peppermint Lounge, which is a famous, um, was a famous club in New York. And they were kind of the house band, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they did was they 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 did all these songs. They did, there's they did some covers. They 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 did all these songs. They did there's they did some covers. They did cover. They kind of almost did it as a gag, and they dressed up as the Beatles. Yeah. And then the Beatles went there because they heard about it. Yeah. And they loved it. And there's pictures of them out there. Um. That that of, of them with the Beatles, and that's where all the celebrities would go and everything. But I, I know this because one of the one of the people that I was in prep band with, actually a couple of the people, um, uh, they had a big uh, Catholic family. Um, their dad was one of the the fabulous epics that was that played in that played with the Beatles and everything. And and then they a bunch of them went to form another band called Orange Color Sky. They moved to California. They did kind of the latter half of that thing you do story where they're where they're in the movies. They're in like the the oh um, not Freddie was it Freddie Prince and and like those beach movies and and Annette Finicello. You know what I'm talking about, Chris? Yes, I, I know what you're the, talking the, about. The, but... the kind of the poppy beach movies where they would have a band in it that add mm-hmm. the part of the marketing value. Anyways, that that was all that group that ultimately the the, the the those two bands, which had roots in Erie and a lot of people were from Erie, were um, that's what became the the wonders um, in that movie. That thing you do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I Which was irrelevant trivia. It says the exterior shots for Erie, Pennsylvania, the hometown of the Bound, was actually filmed in Orange, California. So yeah, they didn't even shoot any. I could have sworn that they were there at least one day shooting in front of the Warner, but I could be wrong. No, but they captured like what downtown Erie looked like a little bit. But yeah, no. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they could build that entire downtown inside one of the the sound stages, and because Erie's not that big, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Especially the downtown part. So. And then the last, last. This is not a drum movie, but it's hard not to remember when you think of the people drum sets not touching people's drum sets. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Step brothers. Step brothers. Yeah, it just that. makes well, me laugh. Not, not a drum movie. Like the it's the also the only movie that 
really portrays sleepwalking. And I know I've mentioned my wife sleepwalking numerous times on, on this podcast before, but like for people who've never dealt with, it's called parasomnia. It's like people who chronically sleepwalk, people who have mm. never dealt with it before. Like everybody always even says when I bring it up that Aaron sleepwalks all the time, they're like, you, you can't wake her up. Right. I'm like, first of all, that's a myth. And second of all, yeah, you can friggin' wake him up. And it's hysterical when you do like, so when Aaron used to get up, like one of my favorite stories is we had just clean. I think we had either just moved or we had just done a full spring cleaning of the house. Like went through our big closets and refolded everything and organized our sweaters and she gets up in the middle of the night and goes into the closet and just starts pulling things out, like pulling all of the stuff off the shelf and like just throwing it on the floor. And I go, Aaron, and I yell it really loud to wake her up. She goes, what? And I go, what are you doing? She goes, Theo, one of our cats that she's partial to, is stuck in the closet. Okay. And then so I start laughing. <laughs> I go, uh, no, no, he's effing not. He's, you know, he's downstairs where he is. And she goes, oh, okay. And she comes and gets back to bed and she wakes up the next morning. And I just hear her as she gets up to go to the bathroom. She goes, what the hell? And I sat up and I was like, yeah, you trashed your, you trashed your closet. She looks at me, she goes, doing what? And I was like, going after Theo. And she just goes, oh, damn it. So she had to spend like two more hours that day refolding everything and putting it back in the closet. But she's stuck her hand in ceiling fans. She's pulled the light orb off the ceiling fan in our bedroom and <laughs> threw it on the floor. And Step Brothers, as ridiculous and farcical as that movie is, and, and the, the sleepwalking scene is exaggerated. Like, she doesn't open, she, does, she doesn't open doors, she doesn't really do all that stuff. Like, the, the closet that we had was one of those sliding doors. But watching the sleepwalking scene with her in that movie and she goes is that what i look like i'm like yes and she's just oh my god i can't believe you have to deal with that i'm like yeah the first few times it scared the crap out of me now it's just yeah go do You're some used to damage it. Yeah, and, yeah yeah go do some damage and then come back to bed so yeah. speaking of speaking speaking of sleepwalking you know the uh mike Birbiglia. have you watched mm-hmm. his new like Not i have a hard time with his, with his comedy style but his his new one was pretty good not with his comedy style with his delivery sure but so um, he's more of an awkward delivery style. But I love, I love Birbiglia. I've seen him a few times in, in live and in person, and he's one of my maybe top five, top ten oh, yeah. working comedians right now. Yeah. So his new one's pretty good. Speaking of stand-up comedy, dude, the I happened to, just happened to cross it. Like I was watching, I think an episode of Jack Ryan, and I turned it off, and I was just looking for something to put on while I did my, I do some work in the evening, and I just was flipping across, and PBS was running. Uh, Dave Chappelle got the Mark Twain Award for significant contributions to the arts. Mm. It was the, and I turned it on, and it was great. It was one of my like. Obviously, I haven't really watched a whole lot of Mark Twain presentation specials, but <laughs> it, it caught my right. eye just because I'm such a huge Chappelle show or sh- such a Chappelle fan. And his most recent stand-up. Whoa, sorry. Um, oh. I was clicking on a website and an autoplay ad came on and started playing through my headphones. But um, (laughs) (laughs) so like, it was one of those ones that I obviously have never really watched the Mark Twain award presentation before. And I don't really watch PBS all that much, but they brought everybody out that he worked with. They brought Neil Brennan, who he wrote and created the Chappelle show with. He brought Bradley Cooper out, Sarah Silverman and Jon Stewart and all of these people talking about him and his contributions to stand-up comedy and how he was a seasoned vet at 15 and and really just Chappelle might be the greatest comedian that we've ever seen and doesn't get the respect that he did. Jon Stewart does a whole bit about how 
he walked away at the time was one of the largest contracts that Comedy Central ever mm-hmm. gave an individual person only because he knew that Chappelle show only had a limited lifespan that he knew once he kept going, that they were going to start focusing on him and trying to take out all the dark racial humor and things like that in it. And it was just, if you can find it somewhere and, and just kind of stream just the highlights of it, see it's, it's really, really worth it. So I know it's kind of a tangent to what we were talking about, but no, no. And, and speaking of Chappelle and I, I completely agree. And I thought we talked about this. I was looking through my notes to figure out what episode it was. But that whole when he came back and did those two specials on, right? Or maybe it was his first special when he came back. I thought he did two of them. He did two back to back for Netflix, and then the third one was Sticks, Sticks and, and Stones. Stones, right? Yeah. Right. So I the thought, one, the one where okay. he tells that whole story um, about the the Pimpin book. Mm-hmm. It was, oh crap! See, I'm trying to think of the guy that like. I thought we talked about it on the podcast. Probably. Um, let me go back. Maybe not. Right. Do we? We yeah, it, was have, it wasn't yeah. wasn't the main topic of one of the podcasts. Anyways, but when he weaves that story together about the the idea of 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 of, of, of pimping and mm-hmm. and ties it together with why he left um, Comedy Central at the height of his career, I thought was not not only great comedy that was brilliant storytelling. Brilliant storytelling. It's not just crass humor. It's not just what Chappelle does is crass and has some potty humor in it, but it's really well thought out social commentary that if people just dismiss it, oh, he's just a shock comedian, then they're not listening to what he's saying and one of my favorite during this this pbs special that they bring neil brennan up and neil brennan is hysterical in his own right and he was like my favorite subtext to all of the stuff that's ever happened to dave Chappelle is everybody would talk crap about him and like so dave Chappelle, after he retired went and got jacked as hell like put on like 75 pounds of muscle like is enormous now and he's like that was the only thing that people could threaten him with is physical violence are you gonna do that now <laughs> he's like <laughs> the brother weighs 225 pounds has been taking boxing for eight years he was like i dare someone to come up and say something like that and Chappelle's like i would never do anything and neil's like i know you wouldn't but i'd like to see somebody try so that's awesome. So Neil Brennan's great. It was season seven, episode seven, where we talked about game shows. I did talk about, I think I talked about sticks and stones, and then talked about pimp with and it was <laughs> iceberg slim. Iceberg slim, <laughs> such so. a good name. Yes. But yeah. All right, so um, I'm going to take a little detour here because I just realized that you and I have not talked about the rise of Skywalker. Okay. Now we this were going to talk da- about what? this is dangerous territory, Steve, because this is going to violate my New Year's resolution of not talking about things I didn't really like. I've talked mm. about this. Obviously, we've talked about this on the podcast that I try really hard to be uh, a proponent or a or a a herald of things that I like instead of only reviewing things that are current and mainstream to get clicks. I don't want to bash work, man. Like it's making a movie is really, really, really hard. And so like when things come out and if I don't particularly like them, I don't want to talk about them necessarily. But that's not to say I didn't like Rise of Skywalker, but the 
the reaction online literally made me shut off social media for a while. Like I didn't go on Twitter for like a week after I saw that movie just because I got so sick and tired of people that really don't have any credibility or place to say this stuff talking about narrative choices and and things like that. So And and you don't know if people are just saying it because they generally think it or they're saying it because they, they want, want followers. clicks. Yeah, they want to be like they're going to say something extreme. I really loved it. I really hated it. And and all of a sudden you start getting in this. If it's trending one way, like if the if the downside is trending, people tend to post stuff. So I, I'm with you on that. I, I just want to talk about like and it's been man what out like and it's been man what what about a month? We went and, Charlie and I went and saw the day it came out. I bought four tickets, but Maya ended up having to work, so Janine and Maya didn't go. So it's just Charlie and I. Charlie was all like he had his he had his. Um, he had his Jedi cloak on, and <laughs> walking around the mall like five days before Christmas. Um, so it was. We got there like a half hour early because we went to a theater we don't usually go to. Um, mm-hmm. We got there. We got you know seats right in the middle because we bought them like a week ahead of time and all that stuff. But uh, and after we got through the thirty minutes of previews, which I don't know that I can recall any of the previews. Um, no. Now, good. I used to get really excited for trailers and stuff before that, but every single one that I, when I go see a movie, all the trailers I've already seen. Because I always watch them like mm-hmm. as soon as they come out, especially if it's something that I'm interested in or something I've been waiting for or the like. I usually have watched these trailers already before. It's cool to see them on the big screen with the Dolby surround sound and stuff, but it's not, I don't need 30 minutes. Like, I don't understand. My favorite is when they show preview or they show commercials for the movie theater that you're at like you already did your job man i'm there i'm paying my money <laughs> right, right i'm paying for the overpriced concessions like why do you need to show me this again like why do you need to tell me like all right hey enjoy our theater yeah i'm here you got me right. in the theater you already i'm already there so knock it off and i don't think they need 30 minutes of previews before a movie i think it's just it feels like overkill but that's just me but I still get goosebumps the, the when other, I see that Lucasfilm thing pop up. Oh, still, I know, I know. or you hear the the fanfare at the beginning of the Star Wars theme, and the the scroll comes up. I still get excited. I don't care, like, even if I've been burnt by the prequels in the last few, have just been okay. Like I still get that giddy excitement. So, what do I know? Yeah, and the other funny thing that happened is so we got there a half hour early. We Charlie and I got to our seats. We're the only people in the theater, but we just had nothing else to do, and there was nothing right. like like just like we got our popcorn. I'm like, I'm gonna sit down and eat popcorn, drink some, drink water, and get ready. The next person that walks in, when I'm, like this is like one of the biggest theaters I've been into in a while. Like it's not the kick your legs up type of thing. It's more of a it's a it's a big Cinemark, probably holds yeah. 400 people. One guy walks in by himself. So and this is all too. this is all assigned seating, right? Where you have to buy your tickets ahead of some assigned seating. Like theater is wide open. The guy's seat is right next to me. <laughs> I was like, well, that, that kind of goes with it. It's like people that buy online want the best seats and get there yeah. early because they don't want to miss it. Like that I was like, you yeah, might as well bet my soul brother, right? Like yeah. <laughs> my soulmate. Anyways, I thought that was funny. Overall, the movie, like Yeah. Like it was yeah. okay. I, I, it was just, it's a it was a B minus, C yeah. plus. C like, plus. It wasn't awful. Like to me, it's like it's Star Wars, right? It's like ice cream. Well, I don't eat ice cream anymore, but you know pizza. what I mean. Like it's like gluten free pizza. Either. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> steak. It's like steak. There you know you what go. I mean? Well, you can really hammer a steak though. 
Uh, they, sure. ha- they hammered some Star Wars movies. It just wasn't bad. That story's done. Like that story arc went yeah. on probably three movies too long. Like or sure. t- at least two movies too long. Right. Like uh, like it it needed to end. Like there's no more you could milk out of. Like keep like rehashing the same story and the same thing. Okay. Like I just and it's and it's weird because at the same time I'm completely enthralled with Mandalorian. Right. Just, enthralled enthralled like that is without a doubt my favorite star wars produced movie slash tv show that i've seen since since i seen or since we saw return of the jedi i, I dude i crap you not like i've started re-watching it going back and re-watching the entire thing mm-hmm. i'm into the lore again like spoiler alert at the end of the 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 series run when he cuts himself out of the tie fighter with the dark saber i immediately went and launched into all his research about the dark saber mm-hmm. and and what it was and where it popped up and then i started watching star wars rebels and then realized that i never watched clone wars so i started watching that mm-hmm. with brody like it got me back into what star wars meant to me as a kid like right. it was one of yeah. those ones that finally rekindled that fire that had been that had the prequel bucket of water dumped on it, and then the the recent trilogy, not really bucket of water, maybe just like a a mister, one of those things trying to spray mm. on the on the on the fire. But Mandalorian full on rekindled everything that I wanted out of Star Wars. And if that's the direction that they're going to go, that's the way. That's what I want them to do. Like, yeah. don't the galaxy is a gigantic place. I don't want to hear the name Skywalker again. I don't want to hear the uh, right. Vader, Vader again. Empire, I get like the the Imperials, I get because they're the intergalactic police, and that has to be referenced. But I don't want to hear Vader. I don't want to hear the Emperor. I don't want to hear the name Skywalker. I like I liked how they referred to the the Jedi's in passing. It's just as what they call them, sorcerers. Right, they call yeah, them, yeah. they call them like wizards or something like that, and like just a one passing reference to the the word Jedi was was great for me. The watching Werner Herzog give the speech about every star system that we've touched has flourished, and their medicine and their you know all of that stuff. That speech was great. And then, you know, you go see Rise of Skywalker, and you're like, why couldn't that be? Like, I'll go see a Mandalorian movie. I don't know if I'll go see another. If there's another in the the sequel or in the series of the Skywalkers, I don't. No, I think the uh, Skywalker stuff is done from what, everything I've uh, read. Like there, and I'm with you. And part of me was really being like, all right, if they did this right, like if they somehow weaved some of the Mandalorian into that movie, like if Baby Yoda would have showed up, or the Mandalorian, yeah. or um, Moff Gideon, or you know whatever. Like if they could have right. weaved some of that together. I thought that would have been cool, but but they didn't. No, I, I think that the thing I think the thing is right for for me, the original trilogy, right the the first three, New Hope and uh, uh, Empire and Jedi, they they the backstory was implied, and and it was almost myth. Right, where you could create this, where did Darth Vader come from? And we don't know anything about these characters. And we're just getting little morsels that mm-hmm. we can imagine this huge backstory. And then I think the problem, at least for me personally, right, the problem was when they went back, they went back and tried to tell you the story. Like, here's Anakin. You know, they, they told, I, I, don't, I don't know that I needed that story. That's why I liked Rogue One. 
Right. Which was nobody you knew in the same universe alluring to the same things and then at that one – at the very end, they stitch it together to the rest of the story. So it was this complete tangential story that just weaved in and then it carried on. Yep. And I think that's why I've just had a hard time with like nine movies where the like we we blow up and 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 the Death Star twice, um, and then we like do then they build a Death Star out of a planet and we blow that up like all that stuff seemed rehashed where and it it, it destroyed the myth because it tried to make the myth real right it tried exactly. to use the mythical characters in it and that's why I kind of like the Mandalorian like. Now and 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 Charlie was all I think we talked about this like all over the whole dark saber thing right which is you know that was a Mandalorian Jedi from a thousand years before New Hope that had a, a black lightsaber and then it shows up in the Mandalorian like that type of stuff I thought was was really cool because it's it playing into the myth it's such a big universe that you can make up anything why do we need to focus on the same five people all blowing right. up the same like you know what I mean? Like that one. It just it, it was good. I just felt like it it, it, it had it had to end, and it probably yeah. ended. It was like a, almost like a TV show that had jumped a shark. It like ended probably one season too late. Yep. And one of the so, things that they, if there is another Star Wars movie and the big bad wants to blow up planets with a planet killer, knock it off. Think of something else. I don't need a fleet of star destroyers with with a planet uh, killer. Uh, a shared to weakness. Like yeah, with a shared weakness with a tiny little ro- a radio tower that controls an entire <laughs> fleet of star like that's when it's I remember ridiculous. when Jen texted me, our sister Jen texted me. She goes, "Did you see Rise of Skywalker yet?" And I said, "No, I'm going." I ended. I think I went on Christmas Day, and she goes, "Okay, well, I liked it, but call me afterwards." And so I called her afterwards, and we were talking about it. And she goes, well, "What did you think?" I said. I enjoyed it. I, there was parts of it, that, like when Han showed up, when you hear the "Hey kid," I was like, "Oh, it's Han!" And then I got the, right. they had the good moment, and I was like, "Okay, cool." And then Mart, and then you know, Luke shows back up, and I was like, "Okay, good." And then it was just like, "All right, we're now we're gonna take our space horses to attack this tiny radio antenna that controls an entire fleet." I just I remember I go, it was really dumb. Like it was big and fun and extremely stupid like how do you have that loophole so like all you have to do is not put it on the planet all you have to do is like put it on one of the ships and then you're never going to be able to find it but instead they put it on a fixed location on a planet that you could get to and it ended up taking and where did the where did the staff come from where did the production the 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 people that produce them where did they come from how did you keep that planet that had to have had okay so take a just vaguely 70 maybe steve approximately 70 star destroyers with the stupid death star cannon at the bottom of it you realize how many people it would require to build and assemble (laughs) and and staff and staff those things like how how on earth do you keep that quiet Ten thousand people per or something if dude steve like that's a their planet size like star destroyers are huge pieces of things and there was a ton of them charlie Charlie and I went on the USS, right, which is on the Delaware River there right by you. Remember you went, you went mm-hmm. there with us where you yep. at least went to see it. That ship could hold 5,000 people. Yeah. And so Star Destroyers are probably, <laughs> what, eight, eight, nine times the size of right. that? So like, you're talking about 50,000 like people a city. per ship. Yeah. Like and a there's, ship. Sef- there's at least 70 ships. So you're talking about like maybe a, a million Shh. and a half we'll keep people. Keep it a secret. 
Yeah. Yeah. Shh. We're just we're building this giant <laughs> fleet big, on this planet out in the middle. One of big Jedi mind trick. Yeah, that's why I was just like, all right. But like the spectacle was kind of cool. Like the, the when they all rise out of the frozen, like that looked cool. Like, but the logistics mm-hmm. of it in my head, thinking of how the hell they build these and staff them without actually anybody finding out, and no one spoke a word of it. They're all they, they cut the tongues out on everybody, and so they didn't speak of it. Like that's it was dumb. There was some parts that were like the radio tower thing is incredibly stupid, but. There was some cool stuff in it. Like, yeah, I like the way it ended, like where they brought yeah. it kind of full circle. I thought it was cool. That did she, that, re- did that she really have to call her? Said- oh yeah, the the Luke one. Let's become ghosts and adopt a fully grown woman. <laughs> <laughs> adult, yes, yeah, become an adult woman. But the yeah. I think that the whole expect- thing that thinking that Chewie got blown up by yeah. Ray that was like, yeah. and I I was like, holy crap! Like they made like that like they had a she had to see the power of the dark side to do like that was like and then he ended up being alive I was like oh thank god but yeah. that was one of those right. things i was like oh this is the way it's going down like this is going to be this is going to be this is going to be empire all over again it's going to end on a down note and all that but and it didn't it ended nope, it's, on a, the, it's a disney movie i mean come on what's your name ray ray skywalker like i audibly groaned in the theater and like, like might as well yeah. call yourself ray did you see the meme going around the the, the, uh, the guy redid it instead of skywalker she says star wars because my <laughs> name's ray ray star wars and then it's just directed by jj abrams and i was dying when i saw That's that funny. but like it wasn't yeah, yeah. it wasn't like, horrible but it wasn't so horrible it's like i'm not getting up and walking out like yeah. I'm, I'm into it and it's the you know and it's because it, it's familiar right i mean it's yeah. It's a, well, it's a safe play. It was it was a safe play, right? It was it a was, safe play. That's exactly right. Well, they weren't trying to rewrite cinema history with uh, you know the, what they're doing from a story standpoint or anything. It was yeah. it was it was. They had to end it, and I'm glad they did. Now, but yeah. they, they they own it. They're not they're not going to stop making Star Wars movies, right? I mean, no. they're, they're not going to. No. They didn't buy it to end it. They bought it to make it like put out three movies a year if they can. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. But if they, but like, and if it's three Mandalorian movies, I'm in. Sure. Sure, I, I really. Sure. That's one of those ones that I keep pressing. Every person that like I haven't talked to, and I was like, "Do you have Disney Plus yet?" And they're like, "Yeah." They was like, "Do you watch The Mandalorian yet?" And I'm like, "They say no." Like, okay, go home and watch it immediately, and then text me afterwards. Yeah. And then people are usually like, "That was awesome." Because I thought I read somewhere where um, when uh, uh not McGregor when um, uh, McGregor, ben, uh, yeah, wait. Yeah, Owen McGregor. I keep thinking of Colin McGregor, the, the MMA guy. But no, Owen McGregor is going to be. Isn't he going to be in either Mandalorian or they're doing another show? They're doing a Ben Kenobi show. They're doing an Obi Wan show Got in it. between in between the end of Return of the Sith or Revenge of the Sith, whatever the last prequel was, mm-hmm. through be, the beginning of A New Hope. Because they're casting a young Luke. There, mm. Because it, it's Steve. Like it, when uh, they, I, I said the that. same thing, I don't. I don't I, need that. I really don't. I, but Steve, if it has to do with him living on Tatooine, you actually have to have young Luke because he was tasked with keeping an eye over him. And the, and and he even makes reference into A New Hope, and he's like, "I wonder if he means old Ben Kenobi," which means that they've had yeah, interactions yeah, yeah. before. Yeah, okay. As long as it's not a, like, yeah, as long as he it's can't not, be a main character, he can't. Yeah, he can't. The, it just needs to be like Ben Kenobi sitting creepy on like a, a cliff with like those yeah. binoculars watching him from afar. It can't. He can't be a primary cast member. Or right. Just, agreed. Okay, we, we're on the same page there. Yeah. 
But so the, yeah. the the funny thing was in in um Charlie you know Charlie's been really into I got him a couple of the Star Wars like the the canon um, mm-hmm. books like Thrawn and 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 all that so he's been reading those and um getting really into some of the backstory and stuff and uh we were sitting at we went to brunch yesterday before we went and did an escape room and we went to this like had these massive breakfasts and Charlie's done and, and I'm looking over it's like. He's on his phone. I'm like, well, get off your phone. He's. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm researching Sarlacc pits. <laughs> like, that's so important. You can't talk to your family over brunch. Is you need. I was like, well, what? He's like, do you know there's only been one person to ever survive a Sarlacc pit? And I was like, uh, Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Yeah. He survived it twice. Yeah. Well, that's what someone also said. Like, over a, you've slowly digested over a thousand years. So does the Sarlacc pit feed you? Because. <laughs> How the hell are you gonna survive over a thousand years? It gives you, you a neuro. It death. gives you a neurotoxin, um, and it makes you hallucinate. And I think it feeds you. Yeah, and that's, then nice so it. That, yeah. <laughs> that's nice of it. Yeah, that's nice of him. Yeah, that's why he was Boba Fett was pretty bad shape. And I was like, then he fell in it again. I think I'd want to be as far away from a Sarlacc pit as possible if I happen to fall in. Yeah, and, fall in once. Yeah, fall then, in once. Fall into a Sarlacc pit once. Shame on you. Yeah, give me off this. Time. Give me off shame this planet. Give me off this planet. Yeah, they're a hundred meters long. I was like, well, "How long is a hundred meters?" Yeah, I don't know. It's what a yard is roughly a meter, so it's like three feet roughly in a meter. So it's like three hundred feet. So it's like a football field wow. long. Yeah, wow, that's ridiculous. That's a little bit big. Yeah, see, now that's you're big. talking to the minutia of it. Like, I don't really think Lucas uh, thought this far ahead when he was doing no, this stuff. No, he did. He did. Well, um, talking and the, about the other he had thing, all this stuff he had all this stuff planned out. No, he didn't. He wanted to make fucking Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers and couldn't get the rights to it. <laughs> right. He made up something else. Yep. Yeah. The other thing that Charlie played, he's like, just think about, just think about what this one sentence, like what it created. And it was Luke. I don't even remember what movie it was. He's like, oh, you fought in the Clone Wars. I think, wasn't that from Star Wars, the original Star Wars? Yeah. The first one. Yeah. You fought in the Clone Wars. And how that turned in, like the Clone Wars have been, there was a movie, right? Attack of the Clones, it kicks off the Clone yeah. Wars. There's the show, which is coming back for, I think it's sixth season. Uh-huh. He's watched all those twice, um, getting ready for the new season. Um, but that so was, those are just, those were throwaway lines that he just threw into building. Oh, I know, I know, but it was like people. And now they're, now they're all being explained. And although, Steve, it, as bad as I, most people thought Solo was, and I, I, I agree. I haven't seen it. Okay, it's not bad. If, if shit, if only for watching Donald Glover chew up scenery as young Lando, it's mm. so good. Like I love Donald Glover, and watching him pretend to be a young Billy D. Williams is great. But they they close the loophole on the parsec thing. So. They always make the reference. He was like, you know, the the Family Guy joke is they made a Kessel run in, you know, what was twelve point two parsecs or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then the joke was is a parsec is a le- is a measure of distance, not time. But in Solo, it's an idea that you have to fly through this basically beast. It almost looks like an elder god Cthulhu tentacle beast <laughs> in the middle, right. but you have to you have to get around it. So the measure of distance makes sense. Because he made it in less time. He didn't go as far around. He went basically through this thing. Uh, so it, it explained it. I was like, oh, okay. That makes kind of sense. But it's the same thing. Like when he when Lucas first wrote those lines, I'm pretty sure he wasn't expecting 
nine movies in the trilogy and all of these <laughs> right. spinoffs and stuff like that. So when Hanging he wrote it, every word, yeah, yeah. I wonder if like twenty years later, he's like, man, I really shouldn't wrote Parsec. They just thought it sounded scientific or sci-fi, right, and right. all of a sudden people are killing me for it. So I agree with that. But yeah, so we kind of have an agreement, like B minus territory yeah. Star C Wars plus. movie. Yeah, C, C plus. It's C, like man, C plus. Like I want to run out and watch it again. No, um, I agree. When it comes out, like I mean, I've only watched Last Jedi once after I saw it in the theater. Like it's mm-hmm. not the revisibility of the newer ones is not nearly the same. But then again, like the the originals came out at a time that we didn't have the amount of choice that we did now. You know right. what I mean? Like there wasn't a lot of big space operas like Star Wars at the time, and then we didn't have that many channels. So TBS <laughs> right. and all of those used to play yeah. them all the time. And you only you could only watch things that you either had on VHS or Betamax or was on broadcast television. So your right. your number of options were limited. So when back in the day, that's all they used to run. They used to run all three of them back to back to back, and you used to sit every Sunday because you had nothing else to do and you couldn't find anything else to watch. So the rewatchability of those was sky high versus the newer ones. But everybody talked about the Last Jedi had no fan service didn't really fall into the canon and blah 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 so the most recent one rise of skywalker is all fan service is all nods right. to the fans and answering questions that the fans had so make up your mind fans the hell do you want do you want them to cater to your 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 whims or do you want them to create other stuff because you bashed the last jedi when it came out and now you're bashing rise of skywalker <laughs> toxic fandom man like that's when people right. ask me like what my what my stuff is i'm like i'm a marvel guy and they're like oh you like stupid vapid entertainment yeah sometimes i don't need everything <laughs> to be i always make the reference like i don't need everything to be schindler's list like when scorsese came out and said that superhero movies are basement music park rides music parks are awesome right like, i like they're fun to them yes they're fun they, they don't make me reevaluate my life choices or any of that shit like i just <laughs> right. i can go turn my brain off act like a child and be entertained and and removed from the the depths and despair of the world and everything that's going on it for a few hours so i don't think everything so i don't think everything has to reinvent the wheel i'm allowed to enjoy a marvel movies i'm allowed to enjoy star wars movies but i don't even i won't even tell people that i'm a huge star wars fan just because of the the toxic fandom that has right. been oh, yeah. surrounding i agree it. so so and we're seeing that online with our beloved cleveland browns right now with it, we, <sighs> damn if you damn if you don't so um, yeah I don't know that I want to jump into that. Uh, what, what I do want to talk about, we have a little bit of time left. I don't know that I want to go into ready or not, but if you want to, we can. Um, no, we can save it for next one. Yeah, I, I, just wanted you, I just wanted you to watch that. And anybody listening to that, if you're sitting down and you want to find a – you're looking for a movie to watch and you don't want to watch you know, something super box office-y and mainstream, there's a movie called Ready or Not that wrote, written and directed by people that I was tangentially aware of. They worked on a couple like VHS – that horror anthology that came out and a few other ones that I had seen, but I hadn't really, and I had no expectations going in. I just heard a little bit on some of the the film critics that I followed that it was the most fun that they've had watching a movie in a long time. And so the two movies that I really wanted to watch when the new year hit was I wanted to go see knives out because everybody talked about how great that was. And I wanted to watch ready or not. So we went and saw knives out at like a six thirty show Came back, you know, got home at what, 8 30, 9 o'clock. Aaron went to bed. I put Ready or Not on and was so upset, A, that I didn't write and direct that movie because that is <laughs> so, such a wheelhouse. And B, it 
it's the perfect back to back with red with knives out too it's kind of i haven't seen i haven't seen knives out yet so you so. should see that yeah i heard no, I, heard, I, heard I heard it's good it's really really good but yeah, yeah let's do. I want to do a whole. I want to do a whole thing on. On we we can talk about ready or not in detail on the next one because I have some thoughts on. It. I just don't want to get into it. Um, okay. Here in the interest of time. Sure. Um, now the one, but I did want to share this with you. So one thing, um, and I think I've, I mentioned on the podcast before, but we just did. So Vince, my oldest son, was in town, um, and we all went to uh, an escape room. I mentioned we went out to breakfast, we went to brunch, and we went to did, do an escape room. This would have been the second one we did with Vince, but the fifth. Or that sixth one, sixth one we did as a family, and we've gotten out of all of them so far. So we're un, undefeated, including the one we did yesterday. <laughs> um, and the one yesterday was a little bit harder. Um, it was a uh, underwater, but uh, escape rooms. Have you ever done one? We did. I was actually we did one for Benny's fortieth birthday, maybe a month or ago, month or so ago. It's called Escape the Eighties. It's like a eighties themed one. Mm-hmm. And so we went and did it. And like when we, we first got there, it was a group. I think it was maybe 15 of us. And they they do the whole, you know, the preambles. Anybody, yep. Has anybody done a escape room before? And nobody in our group had ever done one before. So we were oh, all wow. a bunch of escape room virgins and stuff like that. And it was one of the best times not getting blackout drunk that I've done <laughs> in a long, long time because we're all goofing around. We're all making jokes. Everybody's kind of like we're trying to, you know, solve the result or the, the puzzles and things like that. And it was just – it was an absolute blast. But it was all 80s themed. So it took place. You got nice. locked in. You got locked into like a blockbuster video. And you you were trapped and you had to figure out how to get out and you had to work your way through – you you went through right. a time machine is what the whole premise was is that you went oh, through wow, a time nice. machine you're stuck in 19 whatever it was 1987 and you're trapped in like a blockbuster video and you have to figure out how to make it back to present time and it was an absolute blast so they're so much fun and and yeah. it, i mean was it that big that you could have 15 because we the one we did like typically it smaller groups oh, it was wow. huge like it was big like the the actual movie store was probably the size of a movie store Oh wow! And it had that's like pretty a, cool. It had a travel agency attached to it, and then there was like a, a toy, a toy store. It was I think it was four rooms total. So like you start in the mm-hmm. you start in the movie store, and then you break into the quote unquote break into the travel agency, and then mm. you, you move into the the toy room or the toy store, and then you end up in like a clothing shop, and then you yeah. find the the portal or the time machine in the back of the clothing shop, but. It was like I just we tell the story all the time. So like the one part in the I'm not giving anything away. If you guys go do we love the or escape the 80s. But so they you have to open up this one cash register and there's three movies in a row with numbers. It was like, you know, 20, 48 hours, 16 candles and something else. And those numbers in that sequence were extremely important. And you've met Benny before. Like Benny's yeah, one yeah. of my best friends in the world. But Benny is a crazy person. So what he does is he takes them all out puts them in a stack, shuffles them together, and then throws them over his shoulders. He's like, good luck, suckers. And he just runs away. You're like, what are you doing? So it took us, we had to sit, and we had, because there was a bunch of ones that took numeric, like a bunch of different Oh, things yeah, you have to unlock padlocks and stuff, or, yeah, push things on cash registers. and yeah. yeah, so we had to sit and figure it out, like what sequence it was in and what it was for. So we get all the way through the end of the clothing store. So we're like, all right, so like, 
you could buy clues for time. Like it was like three minutes or 30 seconds off your time. You could get a clue. So we're like, all right, we all separated. All 15 of us separated in this clothing store. And we go and we check every, like all the racks and stuff like that. And we're like, oh, man, we can't figure any of this out. So we're like, all right, we had a bunch of time left. So we're like, all right, Game Master or whoever it was, like we'll buy a, a clue. And you just hear them come over the, the intercom system. So Benny's one responsibility was check the denim the section that had like the jean jackets and stuff uh-huh. like that. And he goes up and he does it and he goes, yeah, there's nothing over there. And so we're like, all right, we couldn't figure it out. It was getting there. And we're like, all right, well, let's use the time now. And so we're game master. Can we have a clue? You know, the game master go, check the denim again. And we all just, <laughs> what the hell? And you walk over and there's clearly like a movie ticket sticking out of like one of the pockets that was like, it had weight to it. So if you just ran and we're like, Benny, did you even check? He's like, I didn't feel shit. And we walk over and you touch it. And like, you can clearly feel this, like, metal thing. And right, right. Turn it. He shrugs his shoulders. He was like, yeah, what do you want from me? But I just remember because they, normally they give you, like, these big elaborate clues and stuff. You just hear him come over right. the, the intercom system. He just goes, check the denim again. And everyone just turned and looked at Benny. <laughs> Damn it, Benny. Well. I would like to build one of those. Because if you do the story right. You can weave story and clues and everything together and make it a really fun experience. So yeah. the one we went to yesterday, it was the fourth one from the same company we've done. They keep adding rooms. So this was the fourth one. We've gone through all of theirs. Theirs were really fun. The first one we did, we did in Anaheim. We were going, I think we took the kids to Disney like two years ago. And the night before, like the night we got there, we went out to eat. Like, let's do an escape room. And it was so much fun. And the ones that are well done... They just create a really cool experience, like like you know, mm. it's really interactive and it's problem solving. It's a lot of fun. But anyways, I brought it up because there there's a there's a bunch in Seattle and the, 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 there's like this, I don't know, I don't want to say this. There's almost like it's a collective. Everybody owns their own escape room companies or whatever, but they seem to get along well together. They go try out each other's rooms, all that stuff. But the, there's a guy in Seattle, and, and, and anyways, they had a map of all the at the one we were at yesterday had a a map of all the Seattle escapes and there was a flyer for one. I should have picked it up, but it was, and this is a licensed evil dead Two escape. Room. Oh, oh, L- licensed. Oh, sign me up. <laughs> and, and the guy that was working there was like, yeah, the guy who's doing it is really cool. And when he was talking about it, you could tell that he was so excited about being mm-hmm. able to build an evil dead Two escape room. So oh, yeah, if, if you come static, if you come visit, we can go do that. I know that there's one in uh, in Seattle too that I wanted to take the kids. It's one of the top rated ones. That it's a zombie one, and there's actually like an actor in the escape uh, room with you. Oh, that's cool. Like trained is, up. I'm, I meant to ask you this because I'm trying to plan a trip out there in Seattle. Like it's not going to be anytime soon, just because we go to Disney in a month, and I yeah, literally yeah. could not be more excited just because I get to spend two days at Star Wars Land. Of oh, course, you can build so a lifesaver. Excited. When is uh, Emerald City Comic Con? March. Damn sure. Double check yeah. though, because I thought I, I was kicking around the idea because you've been to the you've been to that Comic Con, right? Yeah, it sold out, man. But you but you never dressed up, right? Correct. So I was thinking that I should come out there and we would go in costume. Oh, and okay. Embarrass the living hell out of your daughter. Because <laughs> mm. that's well, Char- Charlie's going crazy. too. Um, I, I, so what would you go as? I don't know. I'd have to think of something really clever. March twelfth to the fifteenth. Yeah, I'm not gonna be able to swing that. I was I was thinking based on Mandalorian. Um, 
So I don't know. If, did we talk about this? so the speeder bike stormtroopers? That's it's friggin' Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally. You know that the, the ones that were trying to shoot. Yeah, the ones that are sitting there having like, the ones that, that punch Baby Yoda in the head. That's that's Jason. That's Jason Sudeikis from from Saturday Night Live and Where the Millers and and yeah, all yeah. those. And then it's Adam Pally, who you probably don't recognize the name, but he was on a show called Happy Endings. He was also in Iron Man Three. You know, that's such a weird reference. He's the the guy that works for the news truck that has the similar facial hair as Tony Stark and like geeks out about it. But like, that's really, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not actors, you know, it's not stand-ins right. and then they voiced over it. Nope. That's really Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally <laughs> in, in the speeder bike. Speeder bike things just sitting there, just cracking jokes and making fun. Like when they try to shoot the the plant or whatever, the little, <laughs> they whatever, can't hit it <laughs> and it can't even come close. And they're like, they shake the, the blaster and they look at it again. They're like, this thing sucks. <laughs> So good. That would be a great costume for you and I to go as. Yeah, to, just go and just be brothers and just talk shit on each other the entire time while dressed right. as speeder bike, speeder bikes, troopers. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm all in. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, all in. I thought that. Or Baby Yoda. Or Baby Yoda. I still don't understand how Disney didn't realize how big that was going to be. Really, really. Maybe Disney's not these super powerhouse geniuses that we thought of if you didn't realize that Baby Yoda was going to be as popular as it was. Right. But it's not Baby Yoda. It's not. I get it. But that's just Yeah. So we can do Comic-Con and then we can go to the Evil Dead 2 escape room. That'd be so fun. Yeah. Hey, and the it just if you want to plan ahead, the the Emerald City Comic Con is in March every year. It's like right around the it's like the second weekend, I think. Pretty much. Okay. All right. Anything else? No. I thought we were going to talk about The Witcher, but I didn't. Yeah, we'll do that next time. I've I have two episodes left, anyways. So let me get through oh, those okay. last, the last two episodes of season one, and then we can talk more in depth about Ready or Not and The Witcher. And uh, did you get my text stuff. about? Yeah, like the most Polish show that you've ever watched ever, because that the guy that wrote it is the George R. R. Martin of Poland, and all of those myths and all of the monsters. That's all Slavic. Those are nice. all Slavic myths and everything is based around like even like Game of Thrones clearly looks like it takes place in, you know, England and Europe and it has like parts of Africa and it's like that's clearly like The Witcher clearly takes place in like Romania and the, the <laughs> right. Slavic because everything's rainy and wet and dirty and snowy and yeah, it's clearly right. Poland. So, all right, we'll save it for the next one because I really, I loved it. It takes a little bit to get its footing, but once it, it once it finally starts coming together, like the last yeah. two episodes are probably my favorite yeah, of the series. I haven't seen them. I haven't seen. I them. know that's. I'm mm-hmm. not spoiling anything, but the the fight scene, the sword play at the end of se- or the the first episode where he comes back into town. And the dudes are like, you need to leave. And he was like, no, nah, I'm not going anywhere. And he, oh yeah, basically just th- those fight. But Henry Cavill, the guy that plays Geralt, is mm-hmm. was trained for like eight months and like literally would walk around with that sword during like rehearsals and stuff. And all of the stunt guys had free reign to attack him because he wanted to learn how to. It, he wanted all the movements to look natural. So he would carry around his prop sword and any of the stuntmen could like sneak up behind him and try to fight him and he would have legitimate sword fights with him. That's, That's awesome. why the and the guy the the guy that is the stunt coordinator and stunt stunt choreographer for that is the Night King from Game of Thrones. Oh, nice. 
And so he had okay, created. I, 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 we can talk about this next right, time. Fair enough. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you, just, that's a, that's you were going. I, 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 as I started up the lawnmower, you were just going. <laughs> Sorry. We, no, we because I want to get into it. There's some good stuff to unpack there. It sounds like you you've already gone through it and you know a lot, a lot. A lot of the details. So I'm going to read the books next because I didn't realize oh. there was that many books. There's like five novels and then like a collection. Eight, I think it's eight collections of short stories plus the three video games. So yeah, there's, there's three video there. games. Oh yeah, the third one just came out not too long ago. Oh wow, I'll yeah. check that out. So. Okay, cool. All right, well, that'll do it for uh, our debut episode of Season 8. Yeah, we're already in Season 8 of Match Wits. Uh, you can follow us on social media. Uh, the podcast account, which is I kind of use, is at Match Wits. Uh, Chris has got uh, acquired uh, – is it acquired with? Yep. I always, I always get to confused between a, that and a, a acquired Chris. But it's acquired, acquired wits. <laughs> acquired Chris. Yeah. Yeah, i got to cancel that. I keep renewing it because it's set to auto-renew. <laughs> Yeah, let's yep. do this month. I couldn't okay. figure out why they're back to back on my GoDaddy account. There's one on the 26th and one on the 27th because <laughs> I did it wrong originally. Um, and then go to our website. Uh, it's matchwits.com. We have all of the you know, links to all the podcasts there. There's some um, some photos and stuff out there. And then you can you can follow us from there or you can go to any of your podcast applications like uh, uh, the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store or the Himalaya app or Spotify, which you can get your podcasts there as well. And with that, nice. Chris, take us out. I bid you adieu. Rip. Nope. <laughs> Rip. Okay, brother.